This is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, uh, and after um, there, were more than, there was more than one church, it's not just now the Catholic Church, um, Protestants had to decide what actually made a church. What, how do we know what a church is now that we're just not all part of one church? And they decided that there were at least two main things that made a church. One was communion, baptism, but the other one was the Word being preached. And so the preaching of God's Word is considered to be one of the identifiers of what makes church. And as such, every year we award a preaching award uh, to one uh, School of Ministry student uh, who has uh, demonstrated not just the ability to do the skills of preaching, but to have an anointing of preaching. There have been a number of, uh, of, of individuals in the past. Wayne Schmidt received this honor. He's now uh, the head of the uh, Wesleyan Church. Uh, Dennis Jackson uh, over uh, the missionary wing, the global partners wing of, of the church. Uh, Matt Morley, more recently, uh, was a missionary in uh, the Dominican Republic and is now finishing a master's with us, and many, many more. Uh, but this year, we want to honor uh, Michael Teller uh, as the recipient of this award. And so you will be, you will be privileged to hear Michael preach uh, later this semester in April, um, so pray for him. Uh, and um, he'll, his name will also be inscribed on a, a plaque in the conference room of STM, uh, and he may get a little scholarship money. Uh, so congratulations to Michael. Thank you. And as I said, it's no, it's no coincidence that we announce this uh, during the Cox Deeper Life uh, series because we don't see preaching as just a matter of good skills. It's a matter of anointing. And our speaker this morning, Dr. Joanne Lyon, is definitely anointed. Um, I've known of her my whole life. And uh, I don't know if you were at College Wesleyan a few weeks ago when our own David Ward preached about uh, the, the danger of a hole in the gospel. Uh, some people know evangelism, but they don't know about the helping the poor and the widow and the fatherless. Well, I can tell you that Dr. Lyon has an entire donut uh, of a gospel. Uh, she understands the need for others to be saved and to escape uh, eternal judgment, to have eternal life, but she also understands uh, the need uh, to help others. She founded World Hope International, uh, which is an a organization that is renowned worldwide for helping others, uh, helping refugees and helping all those, but, but she's also been general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, uh, so she uh, has directed all of the soul-winning uh, parts of the Wesleyan Church. I want to give her uh, time, as much time as possible now, to present the word of the Lord uh, to you this morning. Dr. Joanne Lyon. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. You know, as I was driving down from Indianapolis, I was thinking about what I was going to be preaching about and so forth, and then it occurred to me, have I thought that I'm expecting God to show up today? And I guess I sort of ask you that question. I know many of you had to slide that card because you got to get those counts in for chapel before the end of the year, right? And so how many of you slid that card? Boy, i got five more I've got to get in, and then I'll be finished. And I guess I want to ask you, did you expect God to show up today? I'll never forget riding to church one morning with a pastor in Maryland, and 
this was several years ago, and as we were driving, she said, I just can't wait to get to church to see what God's going to do. And that so convicted me because many times I was on my way to church saying, I wonder if so-and-so did this, did this, did this, do we have everything in line? Instead of, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Well, it was in April 2015. I was over here at College Church. And uh, it was a, a session that we had, put, had initiated from headquarters for pastors on caring for your soul. Now, I wanted all pastors to go, but you know what? I didn't have enough time to go because I, okay, I care for my soul, but I'll do that another time. I've got this big list I've got to finish. Well, the night before, the person who was organizing that called me and said, Joanne, you won't believe this, but so-and-so dropped out. Can you come and do this presentation? Ugh. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to show up. But what am I going to do? Of course, I didn't tell him that. You know what I told him? Oh, sure, I'll be glad to. But really, inside, I was saying, oh, I'm kind of mad at you for making me do this. Well, anyway, I got there and presented, and would you know how God invite, uh, led me to present about forgiveness, and I first had to ask him to forgive me before I could even talk about forgiveness. Uh, and then I was sitting there, and then I thought, well, I can leave after I finish. He said, you can leave after you finish. Well, actually, Dr. Lenny Lucetti was presenting next, and I couldn't walk out on him. And then Dr. Deneff was presenting next. I couldn't walk out on him. So I just stayed. And you know what? God showed up. And they were talking about dreams, having dreams of what God wants you to do and be and moving forward. And at that time, I was struggling. You know, I'm old. So isn't there a time in your life when you no longer have any more dreams? And yet you want to have dreams. And I was struggling. Well, I don't know what that is. And I know many of you that are seniors especially are saying, Wow, I don't have a job. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And you're really struggling with that. Well, I have good news for you. You're, that's going to happen to you a lot more times than now. That's kind of the way it is in life. But I want to tell you, God opens up doors. So I'm sitting there, and I'm struggling with this. And they're giving these great words. And I'm writing stuff down in my journal. And at noon, I opened up my iPhone to check email. And here was an email from a friend of mine, acquaintance, I should say, who is a Muslim, who is a professor at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and who is from Iran. And he said, a brief message, Joanne, we're pulling together Muslim clerics and Islamic scholars from Iran and we would like to know if you could come and meet with them. Now, that was beyond any dream that I had. Now, the first thing that could come to your mind, it didn't come to my mind, but in this day and age in which we live, it could have, I could have said, no, I can't do that. We hate them. They're our enemies. But I responded back. I said, yes, I'd like to know more about this. And so the, the information came. They said, we're going to bring these folks. We can't bring them to the United States. So we're going to bring them to Luzon, Switzerland. We'll, we'll fly you there. And we want you to talk about how and why Wesleyans, 
Now, just think a minute. We're talking about Shia Muslims way up here in all different sects of Islam, and then Catholic and Protestant and Christian and all denominations. And Wesleyan, I mean, that's, that's kind of unknown in this whole world. But it wasn't for them, somehow. We want you to talk about how and why Wesleyans believe and practice the words of Jesus, caring for the least of these. So I said, well, whew, that's a big, that's a big uh, assignment. I said, is it all right if I talk about the Holy Spirit? Sure. He said, tell a story. And I said, well, is it all right if I talk about that God speaks to us? Sure, he said. So as I began to prepare for that time, and that was then in June of 2015, I realized I am being invited to talk to some of the most powerful Islamic scholars, clerics from Iran in the world. I'm to talk to them about personal and social holiness. So I began to, began to look at this, and then, of course, the very first verse that comes to us about personal and social holiness are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You could give that by memory. In fact, the golden rule has come out of this. And we have so, it has become so common and so ordinary, we have forgotten the power of it. And God is calling us in this day the power of it. This is both personal and social holiness. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and strength and not love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's God's love that comes through you and pours through you out it transforms how you think about other people. You can't hate other people. You can't hate people that are different from you. It pours out. And then you can't love other people without loving the Lord your God your, with all your mind, heart, and strength. They're intertwined. Personal holiness and social holiness go together. And then we go back into the Old Testament. And we see in Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Leviticus 19, 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Also, there's another translation. A Jewish um, scholar has said to me that many times they've translated that in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures as loving your neighbor as your equal. That takes on another, another dimension to it, doesn't it? Loving your neighbor as your equal. Well, I began to take a look at this, how interdependent they are. Personal and social holiness cannot be lived by itself. In fact, Richard of St. Victor, there was a group in the 12th century called the Victorines. They were neither clerics nor scholastics. But they did a lot of teaching. And Richard of St. Victor made this statement. He said, holiness cannot be lived alone. You cannot live a holy life by yourself. 
You have to be in contact with other people. In other words, that's community. We cannot live alone and be holy. Many times we think, I'll really be holy. And I've thought this many times. I can really be holy if I just have to deal with people. But that's what makes you holy. Holy is action. Holy is out there. Holy is living in this way. Well, I uh, began to talk. I flew to to, uh, Luzon, interestingly enough. I found out that the room we were meeting in was the same room where the Iranian nuclear deals were done. I took a picture of the room, by the way. But it was more about the people in that room. We were together for three days. Relationships developed. Discussion around dinner tables all the time. And so in my presentation, I gave a personal story of some of my own personal journey. And then I started talking about what happened with John Wesley. Social holiness in action. Caring for the least of these. When we look at England and the, and the great revivals that swept England, people were brought to Jesus and they changed the society. They began to look at things that were evil. And so... We take a look. One of the first things that John Wesley, and he, you know, it's interesting to me. If he had stayed in the high uh, church and, and where rich people were, he would have never known what poor people lived, how they lived. He was thrown out there because they threw him out of the church. You know, sometimes God throws us out of the church and throws us someplace else where we can really be if the church is going to be in our way. But I want to say today, I pray the church is not in our way. I pray the church is strengthening us and moving us forward that we are the Jesus people in this world today. We're saying, we're living out what Jesus taught. And so, as he went out, he began to see, he began to hear about children working in the, in the coal mines, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, working in the coal mines. Poor children could not go to school. And they would say the smaller the child, the more deeply they put them in the coal mine because their fingers were so small, they could get into the crevices of the coal mine. And that was legal. Not everything that's legal is good. And he said, this is not under, this is abomination to God. This is not the law of God. God cares for those children, the least of these. And he began to to work on laws, to change the laws, and to get those children out so children could go to school. And so there we have the beginning of labor laws being changed that began to protect children and other people, and children were able to go to school. Then there's this one, I love the corn laws. What happened during that time, the price of grain got very high, and poor people could not buy bread. Why was the price of grain so high? Because they were making so much money off ale. And so, and drunkenness that was taking place all over and all of this kind of thing. So they just began to work. And they began to lobby. And they began to do all kinds of things. And do you know what? Now I think, here's what I think would happen in our time. We would say, oh, isn't that terrible? Well, that's the way the law is. So we'll just all go to Kroger's and we'll get bread and we'll take to all the poor people rather than giving poor people dignity. But that is, and that's what, what John Wesley said too, the poor people need dignity. And so they changed the law, and the price of grain came down where poor people could buy their own bread and have dignity. That's social holiness and personal holiness. 
And then, of course, literacy. And pe poor people couldn't read, and they opened up the doors for poor people to read. Do you know that pe poor people started learning to read at church? That's why we have Sunday school. They learned to read on Sunday from the Bible. Began to empower the poor. Began to do all these kinds of things. And, of course, slavery. The last letter that John Wesley wrote was to Wilberforce. The last letter he wrote before he died was to Wilberforce. Stay on in this bitter, evil fight of slavery. And particularly the United States, where slavery is, so, it is the vilest that the sun has ever shone on. You know, think about slavery a minute. Slavery was the law. Slavery was embedded in our economy. And people are courageous enough to stand up and say, that is evil. Yes, God's people were. And I want to say that many historians since have said that because of the Wesleyan revivals that went through England... And, and changed the society, England was spared the bloody revolution that France had. That is our God at work through you, loving the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and strength, and your neighbor as your equal, or your neighbor as yourself. I want to tell you, this is hard work. This isn't soft, fluffy, little, ooh, I love you stuff. This is hard work. This could cost you your life. Have you ever thought about who the first martyr was? It was Stephen. It wasn't. It was Stephen. Stephen was a, was a compassionate worker. He wasn't even a pastor. But he preached and lived it out. And he was the first martyr. It's, about, it's hard work. Are you really committed? I love that last. I loved all the songs, by the way. You guys did a fantastic job. And that last one in particular, that's hard work. That's not mushy. Are you really called to do that? You're called, I want you to know, I believe God's called this generation as never before to, to speak in and to be the Jesus people in this world. But it's hard work. And then right here in our own country, I could give you much about what we in the Wesleyan Church did regarding the abolition of slaves, but I want to just tell you, right up the road a little ways, there's a little town, wide spot in the road called Laota, Indiana. If you go up to that Wesleyan Church, you'll find a door there that they have still kept. That door has bullet holes in it. And they were a part of the church on the Underground Railroad. And they hid slaves in that church as they were trying to get slaves on up to Canada. And they hid slaves there, and slave owners came out and shot that door. That's hard work. That's social, personal and social holiness. That's living, loving your neighbor as yourself. That means you're willing to give yourself up for your neighbor. That's what that means also. Lisa Sharon Harper, who's a friend of mine and written a very good book called The Very Good Gospel, has made this statement. She says, charity offers a handout or a hand up to individuals caught in poverty's web. Justice examines the web and tears it down. That's what, what we did with slavery. That's what we've done with other things since then, but slavery is a great example of this. 
And God was present. And I want you to know that in England, the night that Wilberforce was able to get that through the parliament, there were prayer groups going all over England. Rich people were praying. Poor people were praying. There were prayer groups. It comes by prayer also. We don't separate all these things out. It's all integrated. Prayer, work, scripture, evangelism, it's all together. That's about being the people of God. Now, when you love your neighbor as yourself... This means loving your enemy, praying for your enemy. I really dislike it when people, when, when systems teach us who to love and who not to love, who to hate and who not to hate. I was just in Japan in October. I've been to Japan. This is my fifth time to go there. And every time I'm there, I cannot get over it. Japan is maybe 1% Christian. And, the, and I'm old enough that I remember uh, after World War II, I don't quite tell you quite how old I am now, but, uh, but we were taught to hate Japanese people. After all, you can't have a war unless you hate the people that you're going to fight against. Right? And we were taught to hate. Terrible things, slurs, slurs made about the people, terrible things said. At the end of World War II, General MacArthur said, Japan is so broken. If we will, if we will send, if the United States would send 1,000 missionaries, Japan could be a Christian nation. You know what? We didn't do it. Oh, there were so, a few brave souls that went. But we had so hated those folks, we could not allow the love of Christ to move up through us. I'm praying this doesn't happen in our time today, friends. And so when I go, I tend to think, what if, what if, what would our world look like if Japan, this great prosperous nation, were a Christian nation or Christianity were a large part of this nation? How would the, that whole part of Asia be different? God's calling us in this day the same thing. Loving your enemy, praying for your enemy. Now let's just take it a little closer. I'm telling you, this last week, I had to pray. I don't, I, I don't like to think this person is my enemy, but they say things and we disagree and it's getting, and I've just chosen not to in, engage in it. This person said some things. And I started thinking, I've got to practice this myself. And you know, I began to pray for this person. God began to soften my heart. When you start praying for your enemy, God begins to do something through you. I remember 100 years ago, I used to teach school. And uh, I had a principal I didn't like, and he didn't like me, so we were nice and even. And uh, so I found that every day, I was trying to one-up him. And he, me, and we were just like this all the time. And one day, the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to pray for Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. He can't win. You know, I'm, I'm going to win this. So I bargained with God, and I said, well, I'll pray for his wife, because that's got to be hard to live with him. <laughs> so I started praying for his wife. Literally, I did. And you know, even as I prayed for his wife, and I would tell God how terrible he was, and she needed help. But as I began to pray for his wife... My heart began to be softened for him. And I'll never forget a Sunday morning. 
when I looked up and here he, his wife, and three boys walked into church. I didn't invite them. No, I wasn't ever going to invite them. God was at work. It wasn't long until a few Sundays later I saw all five of them come to receive Jesus as their personal Savior. That's about praying for your enemy. And then on on an interesting, more global scale, I was invited to uh, Pakistan. Actually, we had a big earthquake there, and, uh, and our leader had called me and said, Joanne, this is so weird, but this was up in the northwest frontier province. That's where, where bin Laden is. It's real radical up there. It's, 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 it's right up by Afghanistan. It's right up in there. And he said, this is so funny, but the superintendent of police has called me and said, we need some Christians up here to help us. That's radical Islam up there. ISIS is up there now. All those folks are up there. And he said, they, well, we need some Christians to come and help us. And this is our Pakistani leader. He's Pakistani. He's an older man. So he called me. He said, we don't have any money. We need some help. And I said, oh, my, okay. And I said, I'll see what I can do. And I knew we didn't have any money. I didn't even know where to go for money. I laid my head on my desk, and I wish I would have said, I cried out to God, and he answered. All I did was lay my head on my desk and worry. But 15 minutes later, I got a call from a person who said, Joanne, are you doing anything about those poor people in Pakistan? Now, God even hears your worries, so don't worry. Don't worry about worrying. He hears those as well. And I said, well, I just got a call, and I told her. She said, would would $50,000 help? And I said, "Uh, yeah, it sure would. (laughs) In a few hours, she'd wired it. In a few hours, we had it, and they were up there, and all of our Pakistani Christians, and in the Wesleyan Church, we have 20,000 Christians in Pakistan. Pray for them as their ministry that has continued moves out there. God's at work in these countries, my friends. We love them. So after several months, they'd done a lot of work, and they wanted me to come and see what they had done. So we went up there. Now, Bin Laden was alive then. I kind of had this secret wish. I think I'm going to try to find him myself. They're given a $23 million reward. So I was just looking around all those crannies up there. I didn't find him. Saw a lot of people look like him, but I didn't find him. But I'll never forget going in to this Islamic school, that we had helped put in tents and stuff so they could continue in school. The headmaster came out to me and he said, I want you to know that we hate Americans. And I, didn't, I just said, thank you. I didn't know what else to say. And he said, and we hate Christians. By then I'm looking for the exit. And then he lifted his head and he looked at me and he said, but we like you. That's loving your, name, your enemy. Your enemy won't know what to do with the love. Good friend of mine who is German, who pastors a German church up in northern Germany. And you know that Germany has accepted tens of thousands of Syrian refugees, Muslim refugees. He said, they came into our town. They filled up our town. And he said, I told my church people, don't try to convert them. Just love them like Jesus. Love them as your neighbor, as yourself. And then I love what next he said. He said, you know some people have tennis arm. Well, he said, I have baptismal arm because last Sunday I baptized 375 Muslim Syrian refugees. That's what God is doing. We can't hate. You see, Jesus started his ministry with that great passage lifted from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release the oppressed. He ends his ministry with Matthew 25. These same people, these same groups. And then he tells us what's going to happen to us. If we don't do it, or if we do do it. You read it. You can find the answer there. I realize this is Ash Wednesday. I would like for us to do the Isaiah 58 fast. I don't know. You know, how many times have I done Lent and I'm going to lose 100 pounds by not eating chocolate? That's all about me. Never made it. Never made it through Lent without eating chocolate. So just to let you know that. But we do kind of the funniest things for Lent. But I want you to read Isaiah 58. This is the fast he's calling us to. The very things that Jesus said in his ministry in Luke 4 and the very things he ended in Matthew 25. That's the fast. What would Marion look like? What would Indiana Wesleyan University look like if we did that fast? And I know that many of you are doing some great things. I loved being out with some of the students at the Brain Kitchen the other day and all kinds of things. But what could, I would love it if Indiana, and I travel a lot, if Indiana Wesleyan University was, oh, those are the people, that's the university where the kingdom of God is alive. They do not hate. There are no racial divisions. There are no gender divisions. They love, and they're willing to talk about it. I'm grateful for your courageous conversations last week. I'm really proud of you. I'm sorry I couldn't be here. I had to be have a courageous conversation at the Rotary. <laughs> that's kind of a boring place to be that day. But anyway, that's where I was. I had to speak at the Rotary. Those conversations are going to heal us. We can't act like they're, that we, we are fine. We've got to be healed deep within. And I would love it if, if Indiana Wesleyan would be known that way. I was in Egypt two, two years ago. I was meeting with our pastors. There were 40-some churches there and 40 pastors there. And they started talking about what it was like during the Arab Spring. When at Tahir Square, thousands and thousands of people were killed and all kinds of things. And their lives have all turned upside down and all this. And one of the pastors said to me, well, the Arab Spring broke our imagination of what God can do. Whew, I didn't like that. I'm starting to think, what are the encouraging words that I could give here? And then finally, one of the other pastors said, well, you need to know that since the Arab Spring, four million Muslims have come to Christ. Our imagination was too small. God had to break our imagination. And then they went on to tell the, the turning point that happened. There's this big, beautiful Presbyterian church at, on Tahir Square. Gorgeous stained glass windows. Beautiful courtyard. It had been there for years and years and years. And so when all the fighting took place in Tahir Square, they boarded it up. They protected it because they didn't want anything to happen. And then finally, the Christians started saying, wait a minute. We are to love the Lord our God with all our mind, all strength, heart and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. These are our neighbors. It doesn't matter if they're Muslim, Christian, uh, whatever religion they are out there. The, they are all people made in the image of God. And they threw open that big courtyard that was beautifully manicured. 
they opened up the doors of the church with this beautiful carpet, these beautiful uh, pews, and all this wonderful stained glass window, and people poured in there bleeding, dying, literally blood rolled out of that place, and they took care of everyone. That became the catalyst for people to know who God is and the love that he has for every single person. That's what began to break their imagination that God had more. When I was there and I walked in, and of course they'd cleaned it up by now, but I walked in that church that night. Every night that church is packed with a revival that is literally sweeping that country for all kind, and all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. We can't even begin to describe it. It is doing such great things. And I sat there in the middle of the week, packed. No great preacher standing up preaching, singing, praying, testimonies. What would happen here? Can we imagine this happening here? You know, the Holy Spirit wants to do more through you than you can even imagine. I know your imagination is big and so is mine. But I want to tell you, somebody said to me the other day, was such and such on your bucket list? And I said, you know what? I don't even have a bucket list. God has put so much in my bucket that I would have limited him if I had a bucket list. Don't limit God. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And your neighbor love as yourself. Do not let hate, bigotry, and even laws get in the way because we march to a different law and to a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he wants to bring it on earth as it is in heaven, and he wants to do it through you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this group today. I thank you for every person in here and how you are moving in them, how you're already breaking their imagination of what you want to do through them, and only you can speak. I praise you for it. I pray a special anointing on this university campus that you will break us of our prejudices, break us of our fears. We love to sing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Let's not only sing it, but let's not be a slave to fear. And our hope is in you. We have the past to show what you've done, and, and we're marching into the future knowing what you've done and what you want to do. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.